0: Broadcasting from Singapore and broadcasting all around the world. You're listening to the Ignite EdTech Podcast with Craig Kemp, created by an educator for educators and streaming to the world. Now, over to your host, Craig Kemp.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Ignite EdTech Podcast. I'm Craig Kemp and I'm honored to have you join us. As you know, I continue to work with the incredibly talented Mark Quinn to improve the final audio quality of this podcast. He is his own podcast production studio that provides editing and mastering services to content creators. To connect with Mark, please see the details in the podcast notes below. Last week, I asked you about your school's LMS and the pros and cons of it. Thank you for sharing. This week, I wanted to ask you about your SIS, your student information system in your school. What student information system do you use? What do you love and dislike about it? I'd love to hear from you. Please share with us via our Ignite EdTech social streams. A tool that has positively impacted the authentic and purposeful use of technology into classrooms and meeting rooms that I have worked in is Screencast-O-Matic. Screencast-O-Matic is a screen recorder that allows teachers and students to record, trim, edit, save, and share screencasts. With a free download, users can produce screencasts with or without a webcam and choose from options that include adding a description, assigning to a channel, or password protecting the video. Those wanting to create more sophisticated videos may want to consider the deluxe plan. Cash-strap teachers may find the $165 per month price point doable, especially considering that it comes with a full editing suite, drawing tools, overlays, audio options, and longer recording times. There's also a Premiere plan at $4 a month, which adds hosting and secure backup. Probably not necessary for most of you. Teachers can access their videos and launch the recorder or editor from the video hosting site. The editor is full of functionality, and once you get the hang of it, you can clip, modify, caption, and combine videos. There are also features like transitions and music that other tools don't have. If you leave out important details, you can create or import additional videos and drop them into an existing recording, so you don't have to start again. The platform also continues to grow. Recent additions include a free screenshot tool and, in the paid version, sound effects, scripted recordings, a stock library, which is currently in beta, and a custom video player with controls. Screencast-O-Matic's big differentiator from other screencasting tools is its depth. There are more features and functionalities for video making, not just recording, whether for instructional purposes or for presentation and assessment. With screencast o students can truly produce their own recordings, giving them a chance to show what they know and make thoughtful edits and modifications for clarity, correctness, and audience engagement. Screencast-o-matics editing tools allow students to clip, combine, or add to videos as well as add overlays, arrows, captions, and more before submitting. Students can even gain skills that will translate to more sophisticated editing programs like Adobe Premiere. I highly recommend that you take a look in the description below: Screencaster-matic.com Last week, we talked about my experience at face-to-face conferences in the past weeks. If you're interested in learning more about that, go back and listen to last week's episode. This week, I wanted to skip this part and get straight into two incredible interviews. This week, I wanted to bring you two conversations instead of sharing more details here. I had two inspiring chats this week, and I couldn't wait to share them. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with both Mike Peck and Brian Lockwood. Let's have a listen to the chats. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Mike Peck, who many of you know as at EdTechPeck on Twitter. Mike is an experienced educator and leader and is now finding his way as a leader in the Web3 space in education. He's on the board of the Center of Research and Innovation and is highly sought after as a leader in this space. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Are you ready to talk about education and technology integration?
0: yeah absolutely let's do it
1: awesome why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your current role and what inspires you to do what you do?
0: Yeah, so I have a really, uh, I'm very lucky to have a couple different roles. So first of all, uh, during the day, I am a director of uh, technology and innovation in a public school district here in uh, the United States. And then in the evening time, that's where I get to explore some of my passions, which uh, include the intersection of of Ed3 and education. And in that particular space, I am the co-founder of Ed3DAO, which is an organization that's focused on helping serve as a launchpad for education into Web3.
1: Awesome. Super exciting. And it's a space that I think educators are often unsure of, uh, and I know that many listeners here probably have a limited understanding of web three and the metaverse mike what's the best way to describe these for those that have never heard of this before and what should teachers and schools be focusing on and looking into to future-proof themselves and stay ahead of the game
0: that's a really great question Um, And also, like, really difficult to answer because a lot of this this is so emergent. But I think one of the things that really kind of inspired me to enter this space is some of the principles that are sort of governing how all this space is emerging. And that that revolves around the individual's agency. So, like, my ability to go into the space and participate in Web3 um, as I wish to, you know, we we kind of remove some of these walled gardens that we have in Web 2. Well, when we started with the web, it was, you know, very, very simple websites. You go to the website, you check out the information. Basically, the only thing you could do in Web 1 is really read what's on the websites. Um, when we talk about Web 2, which is really the era that we're in now, um, we're talking about websites that allow you to both read and write to them. And so a super helpful mental model for um, this sort of structure for the web is like social media. Think about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. These are sites that you can go, you can absorb content, so you can read what others are posting or talking about. Uh, but you can also write your own stories. Uh, You can write your own narratives on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. But when we're talking about Web3, the main difference is that you can read what's out there, you can write to these websites, but more importantly, you own the data that you create. Um, So when you talk about like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there's plenty of stories about out there about people, you know, having their accounts locked down and, you know, being deplatformed, the reality is when you you use these sites, um, they're free to use, which is great. But at the same time, though, uh, the compromise is that you don't really own what you put out there. And so the whole movement with Web3 is really focusing on um, shifting ownership back to the individuals and I think that's what really inspires me about the spaces and and I think there's some really strong parallels to education you know in recent years we've really talked a lot about the role of the learner in the educational process and how do we return ownership to the learner like how do we put them in charge of their own learning how do we help guide them through their own learning pathways and so that, that word that I keep coming back to is agency. You know, how do, how do we provide that learner agency? And, and that's really the big question here with regard to the web is, like, how do we return agency to the individual?
1: Yeah, that's amazing. A really cool story and a really nice, easy explanation to understand, you know, the pathway from Web 1 through to Web 3. I think it's a really nice way to explain it, Mike. You're the co-founder of ed 3 DAO, as you explained, Tell us a little bit more about this. What is it and how can we connect in this space?
0: Yeah, so like a really helpful mental model for um, like what we're trying to do here is this is sort of as I see it, the next iteration of a, a PLC, you know, a professional learning community we're we're bringing together people from across both education and web3 to join this community that we've formed called Ed3 DAO and our goal is to really focus on figuring out how how is web3 going to impact education and the part that i think is super interesting is just the diverse perspectives that are joining our organization or our community as as an organization we are a 501c3 nonprofit here in the us but but we want to focus on control of the community and and where that control lies and so we are working on building out systems to like i said with the plc is to give the PLC the voice, give them the ownership of the community. And so um, we have a presence across a couple different platforms. In particular, we're on Twitter, um, at at Ed3DAO. Um, but we also have um, a pretty large Discord community. Discord happens to be like one of the primary um, tools that that's really emerged in Web three because of some of the open source like um, building that can go on there. And our Discord community has about 1200 people, some from education, some from other places. but we're all really interested and curious about how we can find you know better ways to build out um, educational technology using Web three tooling. And uh, people are free to join our community if they'd like to, to learn more about what we're doing.
1: Yeah, I love it, Mike. And everything you're talking about, by the way, we'll put links to uh, in the podcast notes too, so people can click through and connect. Mike, let's jump into some quick fire questions. The first thing that comes to your head and maybe a brief why. What's your favorite edtech book or resource?
0: That's a great question. I stay up to date. I think my favorite website is probably Getting Smart. Um, I find it a great resource um, to explore, which always has like latest in pedagogy, technology. Uh, I would also add probably one of the more pivotal books that I've ever read um, had to do do with disruptive innovation. That was Michael Clayton's book. And it was a Clayton Christensen Institute book on disruptive innovation. That was a hugely impactful resource that that I've um, you know really took to heart.
1: Awesome. And and what's your go-to edtech tool that the listeners need to try?
0: That's a great question. Um, I would love to probably stretch people's thinking with like a web three tool, but I would say probably the one that, that I use, like I couldn't really live without is, uh, is Calendly. <laughs> like I use Calendly all the time. I, I don't know where I'd be without it. That's so something that, that definitely, if you haven't checked out, I would recommend
1: Yeah, I'm exactly the same as you, Mike. My world would be flipped upside down without my calendar. (laughs) Absolute disaster. Mike, what's one daily habit or practice that helps you enjoy, progress and succeed in your career? So
0: it's like, it's not embarrassing, but it's kind of funny because like everything that I do in my life is so digital. Um, But I think the one thing that I find super impactful is very analog. Um, And that is brain dumping. So like five minutes before bed, um, I have a book uh, where I just kind of write and I drop ideas. I just continually build on those ideas uh, day after day, week after week. And I think, and it's one thing I haven't done like super consistently over my like life, but trying to get back into it recently is is just that habit of staying with it. And then also, um, you know, revisiting, reflecting, on those things, because I think through the reflection, you find, you know, what ideas are really powerful and and what moves you. And then also, you know, how far you've come in your journey.
1: I love that. We're very similar in that. My mind goes the craziest in the evenings actually. And it's a good way for me to to get all of that out so I can actually sleep (laughs) (laughs) and not wake up in the middle of the night. So that's a really good shout out. I think I love it. Mike, you've shared so many amazing tips, advice, pieces of knowledge and experience today. I know the listeners are going to want to follow and connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Twitter is probably the place where I'm most accessible. So um, that'd be at EdTechPack. So I'm there every single day. Probably too much of my day is there. You know, would welcome anybody to join our community in Discord. Even if you're new to Discord or don't know anything about Web3, um, we've created a space that uh, is really, hopefully, you'd find uh, very welcoming and open to people who are, you know, just on the beginning stages of the journey or people who are down the Web3 rabbit hole, as they say. You know, our community is is open to anyone who identifies as an educator and people who are interested in the future of of innovation and and, uh, education.
1: Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Really inspirational. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Craig. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Brian Lockwood, a longtime connection of mine. Brian is the Tech Director at the International School of Manila in the Philippines. He's a council member on the Technology Readiness Council and has a wealth of experience in tech and leadership in schools working in many countries around the world. Brian, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Are you ready to talk about education and technology integration?
2: Yeah, let's go for it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on after being connected for so many years. It's a real pleasure to be able to chat to you uh, and go into some of the work that I see you share online. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your current role and what inspires you to do what you do?
2: So my current role is the IT director at ISM. It, at this school, it's a really big school, so the my role is it covers more the operational end of the technology op- uh, systems at the school. We have ed tech coaches, and they're, they, they we work collaboratively together. But they're more involved with the education side. As far as what has inspired me into. Being a tech director all these years, I would say my father is a tinker, a problem solver, but of his generation, and so I'm the same of do the same kind of things, but of this generation. So I've always gravitated to working with uh, computers and technology, but coming up with creative ways of solving those issues, and so that's what I've been doing ever since I got out of college. I wasn't intending to. Be involved with this field. I was intending to do other things, but every time I was in an organization, I was always ended up being in the, around computers and solving those kind of things. The other area that has inspired me is my great great grandparents. They were involved with education. They were actually uh, district superintendents. So when I was in a role where I was not in upper management, I was at uh, you know just doing network management or I was doing computer repair, really low level stuff. I did see these opportunities to become tech director but I was really I wasn't sure if I could do it but I looked back in time and I looked at my great grandparents and I saw oh they were they were they were superintendents for f- huge school districts so obviously it's possible and my wife also encouraged me if I didn't if I didn't have her as support and backup I don't think I would be in these roles it was it's a lot of credit to her She supported me and encouraged me, and then I went into it, and sometimes the job descriptions to become a a tech director, it's intimidating, but all of us have the capacity to do it, and so back 20 years ago, I, I became a tech director, and after that, I've just been doing it ever since.
1: Yeah, it's a cool story, actually, Brian, because you've been in the international school space for a long time across many different countries, and many of our listeners are quite interested in this space. Why did you choose to travel internationally, and what do you love about that expat lifestyle?
2: I mean, it's part of my DNA. It's a long history of our family DNA. My parents also grew up overseas. What happens when you grow up, wherever you grow up, that is home for you. And so with my parents growing up overseas, I could see that they also worked overseas. And I think everyone that lives overseas has this challenge of they really enjoy the lifestyle of being overseas, but they also miss home. But then when they go home, they miss being overseas. So there's never a sort of a you have to come up with this psychological understanding of what it is to be someone working overseas. And I saw my parents struggle with that. And so I have a bit of an understanding of, of why I like being overseas. So, I, I, because I grew up overseas, I understand that's my ecosystem. I like being, uh, I like to travel. I like the diversity of culture of wherever I am. And I like to explore and learn that. And that's, that's I think, what attracts me to uh, international schools.
1: I think you've summed up the lived experiences of many of us who have been in the international landscape for a long time. I couldn't agree more in the sense that, you know, culture, diversity, the people you meet, the opportunities that are created, um, travel, you know, all of these things add up to be a pretty amazing, I think, like a once in a lifetime type opportunity. Brian, moving into sort of your tech director stuff, you've been involved in a lot of tech programs, developments and changes over the years. Tell us a little bit about this, and what your best advice is for schools when it comes to getting tech right.
2: I mean, what I tell schools is that even though I have all this experience, it doesn't mean my ideas will work. So what worked in one school is not going to necessarily work in the next one. So where I've where I think I've failed in in the past, I'd be in one school and I said this. Whatever I did worked really well in this school. And then I go into the new school and, and I try to apply the exact same solution to that new school and I find out it doesn't work. I've learned to come into a school. So I'm new here. And my first year is really to learn the school as much as possible. And in the school, learn as much as possible about myself and assume all plans will go to failure. And so then it's working out. And this is where probably experience comes in is trying to anticipate every possible way that whatever you're putting towards plan is going to fail. The other thing I've learned is if you solve the problem, then you own the solution. So it becomes your head it comes like a it becomes difficult because you're the one taking care of everything. So the the challenge from a management standpoint is even though you might have all these great ideas of possible solutions, you've got to have the team be inspired to come up with a solution, have them own that solution so then you're you're managing the success of that of whatever solution comes out of that and in certain countries it that's a challenge because you're you've been brought in as this foreign expert that has all the right answers but from a from a sustainable standpoint you want the school to come up with that solution because we're so transient we're 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 at six maybe six years at max maybe seven years max at a school and whatever solution you come up with you want it to keep on living even when you're gone and the only way to do that i think it has the, those solutions have to be derived by the team
1: i like the focus on sustainability sort of internal build out of you know solutions to problems uh, i think all too often I think you highlighted this too, that we're maybe often expected to come in 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 a leadership type role like that and make changes and make impact immediately. But like you said, for it to be sustainable, it has to be owned by the people that are doing it every day, and it has to be driven from within. So I think it's a really valid point, something that I've seen in, in my roles as well in schools. And I think it's really important to understand the context, like you said, immediately too. Brian, let's jump into some quick fire questions. The first thing that comes to your head and maybe a brief why. What's your favorite ed tech book or
2: resource? Yeah, I'm not a book reader. So I'm dyslexic. So that's probably why. But ironic, I do all my reading through the web. So um, I, I think it works well for dyslexics because we can uh, use find command to find text and we can line out things by highlighting and all that. So Reddit is one of my favorite places to go. Uh, it gives me a really diverse viewpoint on, on different things. And I usually will look at the comment section. I don't really read the article. I, I just go through the comments and read the different things. And so there's a Reddit for international school teachers. And anytime they're talking about tech kind of stuff, it's kind of interesting because they're hearing that perspective that you will not get if you talk to them directly, because Reddit is a sort of anonymous kind of environment so that you get, I think, a more honest opinion on, on, on different things. And then the last one is the, the small site I run, Tech Director. I've been um, moderating that, but I constantly go back there to find uh, resources and new ideas of, of, how, of, of best practice to do uh, within the school.
1: Thinking about the tools that you've encountered and worked with and still work with today, what's your go-to edtech tool that the listeners need to try?
2: Um, I just have, like, I just listed two. um, If you're you're a Mac user and you have Keynote, a very quick way to make uh, GIF animations is just drag any movie into Keynote. It just could be one slide, and you can export to GIF. So GIF animations. So anytime I want to make a GIF animation, and I use the GIF animations a lot when I send it uh, as email because you can be very descriptive about a task. Uh, So if you're trying to teach someone to go to an aspect on the computer, I would do a screen recording of, okay, you need to hit these series of things. So instead of doing a description in text, I'll do a GIF, I'll do an animation, stick the, the video into Keynote, export as a GIF, Stick it into the email, and because GIF animations will play within email, then it's a very quick way of illustrating how to take care of a task.
1: Really cool resource. We'll make sure that everything you've talked about, we'll put in the podcast notes as well. And Brian, what's one daily habit or practice that helps you progress, enjoy, and succeed
2: your career? It's walking. Uh, there's no tech to, behind that. Uh, what I do is I walk to work and back. So my commute is walking, and what that allows is sort of a meditative uh, experience, so that it allows you to sort of reflect and think about your day, and any form of exercise will help you come up with new ideas. So for me, it's walking. The other part of walking I do is within the school, so every day I try to get out of the office and walk the whole campus, and our campus is big. We have 2,000 300 students. We've got four floors. It's massive. So it'll take me about uh, an hour to walk through the whole campus. And what that allows is accidental meetings. So I meet, I'll bump into teachers. They might want to have a conversation with me about something. We talk about it. It could be tech related. It could be something that's happening on the weekend. It, it's really about me getting out of the office and then just being more engaged with the, with the ISM community.
1: Yeah, it's a a very exciting way to connect and engage more authentically as well, I think. And uh, I would encourage everyone to to follow your ideas on that, too. Brian, you've shared so many nuggets of wisdom here today. And I know that the listeners are going to want to follow and connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that?
2: I mean, you could come. uh, I'm probably the most active on Tech Director. That's the, the website I run. And anyone can join it. I think the requirements we're we're looking we look for people that are working in, in international schools, and it's of course it's mostly tech related. Uh, but we also we like to have heads of school be a part of that conversation too, because then they can be more educated about what are what tech directors do, and they can give a voice. We do have some heads of school uh, on that on that website. There's no cost to join that that website. So that's tech techdirector.org, That's the the site. And then the other places is Twitter and LinkedIn.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and share the podcast with your PLN and colleagues. Please remember to spend a few minutes to rate this podcast too on your podcast channel of choice so we can reach even more educators and edtech enthusiasts globally. Remember, you have the chance to win as well. Check out the links in the description for more, and I'll see you again next week.
0: If you like today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode and be in the drawing to win prizes every week. If you know others that would enjoy the show, please hit that share button and brighten their day. Join us
2: again next week for your weekly EdTech hit with at Mr. Kemp NZ.